What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Between Two Tackles. I am your host, Alex Spinelli, and alongside me, as always, is Ray Volo. No Dino tonight, unfortunately, but Ray, my man, it is finally here. Week one of the college football season. Our teams are playing this week. No week zero bullshit. We're here. We're ready. How we doing, buddy? It's here, man. We got we have games Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, packed weekend. Some good matchups we're going to talk about today. I think we got five games we're going to touch on. So yeah. I'm fucking pumped up. I'm curious to see how some of these uh, like storylines that have been the talk of like the offseason and everything actually shape out. Like the Ohio State quarterback battle, UCLA. I'm curious to see how that fucking works itself out. So I'm curious. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun weekend. I can't fucking wait. Yeah, no more storylines. Got to put it on the field now. Like you said, we got five games, so let's start with our first game on Thursday night. Shout out to Dylan traveling to Salt Lake City to go and watch his Florida Gators. I absolutely love that. Florida traveling to Utah, number 14 in the country. Utah is a six-and-a-half-point favorite right now. Florida um, looking for a repeat of last year against Utah and hopeful to return to glory, honestly. They really need it bad in Billy Napier's second year. Graham Mertz taking over a quarterback for Florida after his time at Wisconsin. Utah is coming off back-to-back Pac-12 championships, but some uncertainty at who will be playing quarterback in this game with Cam Rising still dealing with an ACL. But they said it might come down to 10 minutes before game time when they declare him in or out. I don't know how he's going to play. His injury was in January, which would be absolutely insane. Uh, Brant Keithy also might not be able to go in this game, dealing with his own ACL recovery. Right, this game opened up at 10, so I think we both believe that means something negative for Cam Rising's availability. So talk to me about this game with and without Rising. Yeah, I, to be honest, I didn't even know it opened at 10. That six-and-a-half line, I still think is going to end up dropping a little bit more once he gets officially declared out, but... Dude, their coach is just absolutely – he keeps everything close to the chest, close to the vest, dude. He In his uh, interview, they asked him, like, one – he said, I'm not going to – um, what you call it? I'm not going to elaborate on depth chart conversations. And then someone's like, oh, what about Cam? He's like, I just said I'm not elaborating on the depth chart. So he's he doesn't want anyone to know what's going on. I I'm I tend to agree with you. I don't think he's going to end up playing. And if he does, he's going to be uh, severely hobbled. But – I mean, for me, this is a it's a weird matchup just because you got the Florida, who's this is seemingly a transitional year. Uh, they've been recruiting really well lately, but AR leaves, and they're, they're bringing Graham Mertz, who's I mean, let's just say he underperformed at Wisconsin. They're, I think they're hoping that the talent in a new system with a new voice and just a new scheme and everything will help open up with that talent. But who knows? He's more of a game manager. This is a team that's I think looking to kind of just be average this year and then wait for next year to really kind of explode. But in terms of Florida offensively, what they're, they're going to need to run the fuck out of the ball. This team has probably the most, un, one of the most underrated backfield duos in the country with Trevor Etienne and Montreal Johnson. They're, they're a true, like two headed monster. Montreal Johnson, 841 rushing yards on 155 carries last year, 10 touchdowns. He's a little bit of the meteor back. And then you got Etienne, the, the brother of uh, Travis, he had another 719 yards on 118 carries and six touchdowns. So I think if Florida wants to exceed this year, excel this year rather, and just really they're out, they're going to have to rely on that, that running back duo. Cause I don't know if Graham Mertz is going to be a game changer, like AR what he did last year and just took over to win this game. Uh, and then on the other side of the ball, 
I think Florida, no matter who's at quarterback, whether it's Cam Rising or their their backup, they're going to need to dial up some pressure on this on this offense because whether it's Cam Rising on one leg or a, a guy who I haven't really seen playing time in a few, the past couple of years, you got to get them all. You got to get them uncomfortable and get them off balance. Uh, Utah's a it's a weird team, man. They're defending back to back Pac-12 champions, and no one seems to be talking about them. So I, I just feel like. Florida, I feel like the six and a half points is a really juicy line. And I just think in order for them to cover that, they're going to have to run the ball. Yeah. Utah is so weird, like you said. And I think, I don't, largely in part, I think their home field advantage really helps. They've won 14 straight at home and they're 25 and one in their last 26 home games. I mean, if that's not the best home field advantage in the country, I don't know what is. Um, But I really like what you said about Florida's defense getting after Utah, especially if it's the backup. Um, it's Bryson Barnes is is the backup. Austin Armstrong, who's the new defensive coordinator at Florida, who's originally at Southern Miss, really loves to dial up the blitz, one of the most heavily blitzed teams last year for Southern Miss. Um, so I think that's going to be extremely important to get after them. Um, especially if, if Cam Rising's not there. And I think for for Utah, I think somebody in this wide receiver room has really got to step up, especially if they're bringing so much pressure. Um, Devon Vele or transfer Micah Pittman, um, two guys who need to have a big game, I think, for for Utah to come out on top if Rising's not there. This is a sneaky, this is a sneaky game for Florida to open the season. Yeah, I mean, also, I, I, I'm going to say it right now. I, I don't have this on my card for later, but with the, the new running clock, and you got uh, presumably two new quarterbacks and two run-heavy teams. I really do love the under in this game. Uh, I think it's at forty-five and a half right now. I think it's mm. gonna, I think it's going to be a low-scoring, just an absolute battle at the point of attack. So I really I really think I'm going to be leaning under, and I'm probably going to end up sprinkling on that. Yeah, I am staying as far away as possible from this this line spread, but. 45 and a half. I, I tend to agree with you. I like the under here with the running clock. I, that's going to be, I said that last week when we were just talking about bets, that new rule is going to be so interesting to see how Vegas sets these lines and how quickly the market resets for these unders. If they start to smash, I'm very curious to see how the first week of, uh, of college football goes. Um, we are also going to talk some more draft talk. For all these games, we each got a couple guys on offense, a couple guys on defense for each game. So you're taking the offense um, in this game. Who do you like on offense to to look out for for draft purposes? I mean, draft purposes. I've always, my love for Cam Rising has always been uh, displayed <laughs> on this podcast. So I'm going to skip him. I'm going to stick on the Florida side. Uh, Ricky Pearsall, the senior wide receiver, six one one ninety two. He's a deep threat. He only had thirty three catches last year, but he averaged twenty yards per cat uh, per catch with five touchdowns. So he's I know no AR. I think Graham Martin's going to be a little bit more of a check down guy. So hopefully his speed, but hopefully Pearsall's speed, they can put some pressure on that Utah defense and really open up the running game in like a complimentary way. And then also in Florida, I mentioned him earlier, but uh, Montreal Johnson, he's a, I want to say he's a redshirt junior. So I think he, he was really productive last year. I think I love the fact that he's in a, a like a, a committee backfield too. So less wear and tear when he gets to the NFL, but he's a big physical runner that I'm looking forward to see against this Utah D. Yeah. And on defense for Florida, um, it's a guy I mentioned in our summer scouting, Princely Uman Mialin. Um, six sacks last year, 16 hurries, and almost a 15% win rate 
and pass rush. He's switching to this Jack linebacker position this year. Um, wants to take on a lot more responsibility. He's wearing the one this year. Um, so he's going to get after it off the edge, but I think he's also going to be asked to drop a little bit more into coverage this year. Um, but I, one of the things I wanted to see was his snap count go way up, and I think that's going to happen this year. Curious to see what he looks like in coverage because I didn't see a single coverage snap from him last year. But he's a really good good athlete, good get-off, long first step. Um, needed to get stronger in the offseason, so we'll see what he looks like. And then for for Utah, I'm looking at Cole Bishop. He's a safety, 6'2", 210. Um, of returning safeties, he is second in run stops with over 33 last year. Really good down in the box. Um, had 58 tackles, also a really good blitzer off the edge, had 15 hurries, which led all safeties. Um, so he'll be really important in this game, too, to to stop Johnson and, and ETN. But two guys I'm looking out for on defense. Yeah, I like Cole Bishop. I, had, I actually had him marked down, too. Yeah, he's, he's a good player. Um, let's move to our second game. It's number 21 UNC versus South Carolina is that neutral site is that Bank of America Stadium UNC is a two and a half point favorite right now it's the Duke's Mayo Classic my friend who doesn't love that (laughs) um it's a really exciting matchup between Drake May who could be a top two pick in this upcoming NFL draft and Spencer Rattler who we slander but played really really well down the stretch last year over under is 64 and a half so hoping for some fireworks in this game talk to me about this one yeah, this is a, a battle of the quarterbacks and a battle of which shitty defense is going to improve the most. Uh, yeah. UNC average, I think they allowed 31 points a game last year, and South Carolina allowed 27 or so. So it's really going to come down to which defense steps up and shows the most improvement year over year. But in terms of just uh, team by team, UNC, I'm really looking to see who's going to be Drake May's guy this year. Uh, no Josh Downs. He accounted for 94 catches and a uh, thousand yards last year with 11 touchdowns. They also lost Antoine Green, who's their second leading receiver. So who's going to, Drake may can't do it all by himself. And last year he kind of like did minus obviously Josh down. So I really want to see who is going to step up and beat his guy. I'm assuming it's going to be the tight end uh, Nesbitt, but he can only do so much working the seam and whatnot. I want to know which receiver is going to try to take up some of the production that downs left. They had a transfer, uh, Tez Walker, Devontae Walker. So but he's I'm, he's my guy for my scouting. But apparently he may, he's not even eligible yet, dude. They don't, they don't know. Cra- if he's Have you been following? I don't. I've been following it a little bit more because he was a guy that I picked for my scouting thing. This eligibility issue is absolutely crazy. So he transferred from somewhere um, to Kent State originally, and now he transferred home to North Carolina. His family's from Charlotte to be close to his grandmother who raised him, who was like very sick. And after the whole off season of thinking that he's eligible, he's practicing and all that stuff. It came out like, uh, like last week, a couple weeks ago that he's not eligible now because it wasn't a good enough reason for, for the transfer. Um, So they're fighting that right now. And people are saying that like they're bringing his stuff on the bus, like, because if if it comes down 10 minutes before the game, like he's going to play, like he's ready to go. It's absolutely crazy. I mean, the NCAA is so fucked. JT Daniels is still in college. That guy's been in college for fucking seven years and has played for like six teams. Like, it's ridiculous what is going on with him. But yeah, he's a guy that I highlighted too that 
I thought he would be the one to to make the jump. He had 58 catches, 921 yards on 11 touchdowns last year for Kent State. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen with him in this game, but we'll I see. Mean, I mean, underrated too. They, they're going to need a running back to step up too. Drake may led this team in rushing last year. So I'm looking to see if the sophomore uh, Omarion Hampton or the grad transfer British Brooks steps up because someone needs to spell him a little bit. He can't be running that much. He can't do everything. And then on the defensive side ball, I already said it. This defense needs to improve. Ironically, they have a lot of um, a lot of like high pedigree guys they've gotten from uh, recruiting wise. They had a couple defensive ends who were like five stars, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I want to see this defense improve. And then for South Carolina, Rattler, you said it. He finished really strong, dude. They upset Tennessee and Clemson. I'm pretty sure both games were on the road, too. He mm-hmm. threw for over 800 yards combined in both those games. And then I think that connection between with him and uh, Juice Wells, uh, he's healthy. He's going to play this game. I think that's kind of the difference in this. I'm I'm leading South Carolina personally. I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Full transparency, I already put in a bet for for North Carolina, um, but I'm not feeling great about it. It's not going towards my five units, but it's in. I just think they have the better quarterback, and I think of the two shitty defenses, they have the better one. South Carolina only returns four players from a really shitty defense, so they have a lot of transfers coming in trying to make an impact. I think in week one, it's going to be tough to get those guys gelled all together. I mean, this secondary loss, Tony Grimes and Storm Duck, who were two really good players for them last year. Um, and I think Drake May is going to take full advantage of that. I like Nesbitt, like you said. And they also got a transfer from Georgia Tech, Nate McCollum, who had 60 catches last year. So if Tez Walker isn't able to go, I think he's a transfer that can step in and, and help him win on the outside. Um, but I, I really I really don't know either. I'm kind of upset that I that I kind of shotgun that bet. I got a little excited. You know, it's week one. Um, I'm leaning towards North Carolina, but I do see you taking South Carolina. Juice Wells, Trey Knox are, are two good players for, for South Carolina. It's going to be a lot of self-control. I mean, I still I still may do it, but that's 64 and a half. That's ballsy week one, but I feel like this is just going to be just a, a run and gun game, just a lot of plays and a lot of touchdowns. Right. Who are some guys uh, you're looking for in this game on defense and in a game where I don't think defense is going to be the answer. (laughs) I mean, ironically, there are a couple of intriguing uh, prospects that I'm looking forward to seeing South Carolina's defensive tackle talk Tonka Hemingway. So this is a team that they uh, Pickens just got drafted. I think in like the third or fourth round last year, and he's kind of in a similar mold. He's a true senior uh, defensive tackle. He was a top 200 recruit. I want to say he's like 184 ish on ESPN. He actually led the team, I'm pretty sure, in sacks. He had four sacks and eight tackles for a loss last year. He's tall, lean, and long, kind of similar to Pickens. He's 6'3", 285. So I'm curious to see if he's going to be able to uh, get in Drake May's face a little bit. Then on the other side of the ball for UNC, Cedric Gray, guy, a converted wide receiver, I'm pretty sure he was recruited as. And this is his third full season at linebacker. He had 144 tackles last year, 12 tackles for a loss, two picks, Three forced fumbles, two recoveries. So he's all over the fucking place. Listed 6'3", 235. I don't know if he's actually that heavy, but they're going to need someone in the middle of the field who can hopefully try to take the ball away from uh, South Carolina. So I'm looking at him as well. Yeah, it's their new Chaz, huh? Yeah, right. Made the Jets, baby. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, The two guys I'm looking at, the first one is Tez Walker, who I mentioned, um, transferred in from Kansas State. 
58 receptions, 921 yards, and 11 touchdowns last year. It's a big physical receiver who's got some juice. He had seven catches for 106 yards and a touchdown against Georgia last year. Took a 50-yard screen to the house. I um, think he could definitely win more in contested catches, but honestly, from the little I watched of him, uh, a lot of bad balls thrown his way. So I think he only came down with like 25% clip on contested catches, but he's a good one, and hopefully his eligibility gets worked out and uh, he can have a good season with Drake with Drake May. For South Carolina, I'm looking at Trey Knox, transfer from Arkansas. Uh, had 26 catches for almost 300 yards and five touchdowns last year. Um this South Carolina team doesn't return another wide receiver or tight end who had more than 200 yards last year besides Juice Wells. So this is a big opportunity for him. I think he's more of traditional tight end than Jaheim Bell was last year, and he's stepping into a role where he could be called upon more. He's 6'5", 250, with good straight line speed. So curious to see how they use him. He will not be used as a running back like they did for Jaheim Bell last year. Um, so curious to see what his opportunities are in this game like it all right my man let's get to the main event honestly it's west virginia penn state <laughs> yeah it's a main um, event all right yeah <laughs> shout out nikki um penn state ranked number seven in the country they are 20 and a half point favorite coming into the game um the hype train is finally going to be on display saturday night and i really could not be more excited to finally watch drew aller under center and see what this offense looks like um it's really set up for them. Honestly, they really control their own destiny this year. I'm super excited, super excited for them and uh, curious to see how they look against West Virginia. Um, for West Virginia, they come in with the lowest win total over under in the Big 12 at four and a half. So this is a big opportunity for them to show that they are not the doormat of this conference and big opportunity for Neil Brown to save his job because I've been uh, hearing and reading a lot of stuff that he's probably the first coach to get fired this season if uh if it doesn't go well so really big up maybe. to big up to him if he uh if he could pull one out or look a little bit better, look a little bit better against penn state how do you feel about this one yeah i mean this 20 and a half line i think speaks for itself penn state's got a lot of hype for them coming in this season and like you said west virginia's just been kind of brutal as of late but the one thing west virginia does have going for them is just a veteran offensive line with a lot of talent I think the only way that they can stay in this game is for that offensive line to win up front and they're running him to get going. They need to hold the ball and keep it out of Penn State's hands as long as possible. Uh, they can't They can't have any turnovers. New quarterback Garrett Green, I'm pretty sure, is starting now. Uh, he got a little playing time last year, but uh, he's got. they got to protect the ball, play underneath, think and dunk, and just absolutely run it or else uh, I don't see this going too well in their favor. And then on Penn State, I mean, like you said, I want to see how Aller does. They, I think they're going to run and protect uh, protect them a little bit. That they have the bet one of the best backfields in the country. So there's there's no need to make him play hero ball week one. And then for them as well, um, I, they on defensive side of the ball, they're going to need to win at the line of scrimmage. I think that's going to be the uh, the best battle in terms of talent is uh, West Virginia's offensive line versus Penn State's defensive line. Yeah, I. First thing I wrote was you got to dominate the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Um, I really do think they're going to be able to, especially their D line. I think it's going to be a good matchup. Like you said, Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac, Deny Dennis Sutton. I think those guys are all going to get after it. They're all going to rotate and they're all going to going to play well. Um, and I think offensively, 
I think it's really important to see who steps up in, in this wide receiver room as well. Similar to, uh, similar to Utah, no John Dotson from, from two years ago, uh, no Parker Washington anymore. So I think this is a big topic of conversation for them. This off season, they went out and got transferred Dante Cephas. He is not slated to be in the starting three right now, but they said he's going to get some run. Um, so curious, but, I think it's going to be Keandre Lambert-Smith, who played pretty well last year. Harrison Wallace, who was on the team last year, but didn't get as much run. Um, so hopefully he makes the jump. Curious to see which one of those guys take the step and be the alpha. Because like you said, they're going to look to run the ball down your throat. Nick Singleton and Katron Allen are arguably the best duo outside of Blake Corm and, and Donovan Edwards. So I think this offensive line can control the line of scrimmage. They can run the ball down West Virginia's throat. And... uh if that defense gets going with all the speed that they have, I think this should be a good home opener for, for Penn state. I agree. Who are you looking at uh, offensively in this game? So for West Virginia, I, I already said it They're They're all their talents on that offensive line. So uh, Zach Frazier, I think he's been all big 12 the last two years. He's got some guard versatility as well, but he's been playing center lately. So I want to see him. And then also uh, Doug Nestor and uh, Wyatt Millam are preseason all big 12 team as well so they got a lot of talent there and but I don't think they've seen talent quite like what Penn State's gonna have to offer up front but then on Penn State's side of the ball obviously Olu Fashanu we're all interested in seeing but I'm curious to see Theo Johnson the tight end he quietly kind of uh was neck and neck with Brenton Strange in terms of production last year 20 catches 328 yards and four touchdowns so I'm curious to see now that Strange is gone if they rely on him more in especially with Drew Aller making his first real, real start. So uh, those are two guys I'm looking forward to. Yeah, he's a really good athlete, too. I mean, they've produced unbelievable athletes, especially at that tight end position the last couple of years. Um, but they like to do some interesting stuff with him. They like to give him wildcat stuff, especially down on the goal line when they're not doing that that wing T formation. Um, so he's an interesting one. I really like Theo Johnson. For me, uh, defensively, for West Virginia, I'm looking at Aubrey Burke's safety more of a traditional free safety, good movement skills, good change of direction, can really flip the hips and run, got good long speed, had really good uh, coverage PFF grade last year, especially in man coverage, um, had 66 tackles last year in a pick. So um, looking for him to possibly make an impact in center field for them. And then another guy for for Penn State, who I mentioned, Adisa Isaac, uh, voted a team captain this year, 6'4", 254, had four sacks, 24 hurries on a 14% pass rush win rate last year. This is the second year off of an Achilles injury that he had in 2021. And from everything that I've been hearing is that he's got his juice back. Um, so he had a good year last year, just one season removed. So I think now that he feels a little bit at, better athletically and with the rotation that they have, the amount of um, attention that Chop Robinson is going to get, I think he could be in for a really big season too, opposite Chop. Yeah, I agree. Chop is going to draw so much fucking attention. All right, buddy. Let's keep it moving into arguably the best game. Not even arguably. This is going to be the best game of the weekend. It's a rematch of last year. Number five, LSU versus number eight, Florida State. This is on Sunday. This is also a neutral site game in Orlando. LSU is a two and a half point favorite right now. Um, This is the best week one matchup, like I said, with teams with Big expectations. Um, they played last year. Florida State edged LSU out 24 to 23. 
LSU is bringing back a ton of talent, including quarterback Jaden Daniels. Florida, Florida State returns the most production in the country with Jordan Travis and company, some big-time transfers. No Mason Smith for LSU in this game. Do you think that has a factor at all in who wins this game, and how do you feel overall? I mean, I think it's definitely going to be a factor. They have a pretty deep defensive line uh, in LSU, but at the same time, like Trey Benson is one of the one of, if not the biggest weapon for Florida State. So I think missing a big physical freak on the interior like that is going to hurt them a little bit. But the matchup I'm really looking forward to seeing is just the two big fucking freak wide receivers from Florida State, Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman, going up against the two LSU transfer corners in uh deuce and what's the other guy's name deuce chestnut and zy alexander so deuce chestnut transferring from syracuse and but zy alexander is coming from like southeast louisiana so they're going up against two of the probably two of the top five to ten wide receivers in the acc this year uh it's gonna be a really big test especially um just all things considered no mason smith up front as well they're already hurting a little bit and then on the other side, the other matchup I'm looking forward to see Jared Verse versus the LSU offensive line. Oh uh, yeah, an- another year they they started really young players last year in uh, Emory Jones. I know got started. Now they have Will Campbell playing left tackle, I believe the uh, sophomore. So Jared Verse against those two guys, I think it's going to be massive in determining the outcome of this game. If Jaden Daniels, he ha- we all know he has the legs to uh, extend and get out of trouble, but. It versus in his face all day. I think they had four sacks last year against LSU week one. So I think they need, if LSU wants to win this game, they got to protect Jaden Daniels a little bit more. Yeah. I also wrote down first thing is that a Florida state offense, especially the wide receivers against the new transfer corners for LSU, you got to test them early, see what they're made of. And then you can get into all your RPO stuff with your, with your Travis. Um, I think a big matchup that I'm looking for in this game is Harold Perkins playing the spy, playing in the middle of the field versus that run game. Um, I think he got hurt last year in their game or he wasn't playing. Um, so he's in this game and man, is he fucking good. So I think if he's able to limit um, Jordan Travis escaping and make him be a thrower only could be really interesting and for LSU offensively, I think they need to get somebody outside of Jaden Daniels going on the ground, whether it be Josh Williams or transfer Logan Diggs. I think this will set up the deep shots from Malik Neighbors and Kyron Lacey. But um, I think he had like 115 of 130 rushing yards in their game last year. So somebody else has got to help him out. Or I think the talent of Florida State might just overtake them. I'm very curious about this line. Because honestly, when I look at every single position group, maybe the quarterbacks are are a toss-up, but I really think Florida State edges them out in almost every position group. And they're going to be playing in Florida, and I think it's going to be a little bit of a home field advantage for them. What do you feel about this line, two and a half? I'm kind of surprised that it's almost not a pick em. I mean, LSU was so good last year down the stretch, and I feel like they just have, they have the more, um, I guess, pedigree talent where it comes to high recruit and just – people who have just been like more highly rated throughout the industry, but Florida state, they've been abusing that transfer portal and they're exper- they're an experienced team and they, they too have a lot of talent. So I agree. I know it's a neutral site, but I'm surprised it's in LSU's favor a little bit. I don't know. I feel like the Jaden Daniels love and also just the sec bias over the ACC. I feel like that's kind of what did the trick. Hmm. Yeah. 
This is going to be a really good one. Really looking forward to that. Who are you looking for um, defensively in this game? I mean, Jared versus obviously I already touched on that. I can't wait to see him against that LSU off the line, but on LSU, it would have been Mason Smith, obviously, but he's suspended for a game for God knows fucking what I'm looking at Greg Brooks jr. The he's like a hybrid safety slot corner. I feel like LSU is kind of frequent with that, with their, with their safeties. They kind of use them all over, but he played 248 snaps in the slot last year, 371 at free safety. And he was tied for the team league uh, the team lead in interceptions with two. So I think if they want to have a chance, especially with the new corners besides him, the, pretty much a new secondary all in all against these talented Florida State wide receivers, I think he's going to have to come up big. And if he could force some turnovers from Jordan Travis, I'd be go massive in their pursuit of a victory. Yeah, offensively for me, for Florida State, I'm looking at Johnny Wilson, a guy you mentioned, had 43 catches, 897 yards, and five touchdowns. This is a guy we highlighted in our summer scouting, this is a 6'6", 236-pound monster of a human being. Um, absolutely massive catch radius. Jump balls, back shoulder throws are unstoppable. He's also a really good blocker, especially when they start to get downhill. Um, want to see a little bit more nuance in the route running, but he runs a ton of verticals and runs slants across deep DBs. But he's a really tough player in college to stop, so curious to see what he looks like coming in with another season with Jordan Travis. And for LSU, I'm looking at Garrett Dellinger. He's their left guard, 6'5", 235, uh, 325, excuse me. Um, he missed some time last year with a broken hand, but he is super strong, especially in pass pro sets. Had an, almost an 84 pass block grade, according to PFF last year. Really doesn't give up ground with his size and his grip strength. Um, want to see him finish a little bit more in the run game, but he could be an upside like day three type of player. Uh, come draft time. He had snaps at every position over the course of his two seasons playing at LSU, except right tackle. So love the versatility, love playing both sides of the line and center too. So, um, and he's, he's a op next to uh what's the guy's name? Will Campbell. He's a sophomore left tackle is supposed to be unbelievable for LSU. So I like that left side of the offensive line for LSU. All right, buddy, let's get to our final game. This is a Monday Labor Day game. Absolutely love this. So we got Thursday, Saturday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday is just awesome. Uh, number nine, Clemson coming into Duke. Um, this is a game I'm really looking forward to. Clemson's coming off another ACC championship. They have now ushered in the Kate Klubnik era. I'm really curious to see what this offense looks like under uh, Riley Garrett, who is the TCU offensive coordinator from last year. Um, I think this Game should be really interesting from Duke's strong offensive line against Clemson's defensive front. Really curious to see what that matchup looks like. Um, and as you know, I love Riley Leonard, but um, I'm curious. Do you think he could do enough against this very strong Clemson defense to pull off an upset at home? It's 12 and a half right now for Clemson. Yeah, so, I mean, that's what I, the number one thing I'm looking for, to be honest. I think Riley Leonard's going to have to win a little bit more from the pocket against this team. Uh, Clemson, we all know they play that cover three shell. So I think he's going to have to be okay with like dinking and dumping a little bit. And I, I want him to work the pocket a little bit more just because their uh, linebacking core is crazy athletic. Uh, Barrett Carter and Jeremiah Trier Jr. They're going to be chasing him all over the field if he tries using his legs and running a lot. So that I think for them to have a chance, he's going to have to win with his arm as opposed to his legs. And also one of their running backs is definitely going to have to step up. I don't even know who their starting running back is, to be honest, just because Riley Leonard 
like was he I think he ran for 700 yards and 13 touchdowns last year. He did it all. <laughs> so someone's had to step up and help him out. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, I mean, it's the Kate clubbing error. You said it. I'm just curious how he's going to perform. I think this is a, a low key, a very tough test going on the road to Duke to open up the season. This is a defense. I think they only allowed like 20, 23 points per game last year. I just had it up. I don't know where it went, but it's a low key, very solid defense overall. And I'm just really curious to see how he plays in the first time being like the, the guy. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to see what this offense really looks like. Honestly, I think they're going to be way more quick tempo, way more explosive shots down the field. Um, Antonio Williams and Bo Collins. I think a lot is riding on them in that wide receiver room to really get going. Antonio Williams really good last year as a true freshman. Um, but I think they need to make a statement against these Duke cornerbacks. And then for Riley Leonard and this Duke offense, he's got a lot of talent coming back, um, especially with his wide receiver room. Jalen Calhoun back, who had almost 900 yards last year. Jordan Moore and Samir Hagens had over a thousand yards combined. So he's got his top three targets back. Um, and this Clemson defense, while they're very good, I think with all that experience for Duke, um, I think that secondary could get could get tested a little bit. So I like what you said. I think he's going to have to win from the pocket because if he's running around, Clemson just has too many athletes um, in the middle of the field for, for him to win the game like that. But um, like you said, this is a sneaky game for Clemson. Yeah, I think 13 13- – a 13 point spread is kind of ridiculous to be, I mean, not ridiculous, I guess Clemson, the Clemson brand name, but I'm all over Duke on this one, but I'll talk about that a little bit more in the next segment. Right. Um, Who you got offensively that you're looking for in this game? I mean, Will Shipley at running back for Clemson. I think it's another, I think a younger, a little bit less experienced quarterback. You want to, you want to rely on the run game. Will Shipley has been doing it for two, two years now. So I want to see how he does against that Duke defense. And then on the Duke side, Riley Leonard, someone I didn't really get to watch much tape on in the offseason, which I kind of regret because he's being hyped up a lot. So I'm really curious to see how he does against this Clemson defense. And then also my guy, Graham Barton, who I really fucking loved. I want to see him take another step in his game and really show that he can stick a tackle at the next level. Right. Um, Defensively for me, for Duke, uh, I'm looking at Dwayne Carter's defensive tackle, 6'3", 305. This is a three-time captain, the only player ever in program history to be awarded a captain three times. He had 10 sacks in his last two seasons combined with five forced fumbles. He was second in the country among interior defensive line last year with 39 hurries on a 13% pass rush win rate. want to see him making more plays in the run game, um, especially in this game against Will Shipley, who's very good back, like you said. Um, but this guy's got some moves to him and he can get home from the, in the interior, I think come draft time, he's going to be a really interesting one. Cause I feel like a lot of these interior guys don't have a ton of a pass rush plan and he does. Um, so curious to see where he ends up come draft time. And then for Clemson, you mentioned them, this linebacking duo of Barrett Carter and Jeremiah Trotter, Carter, six one two twenty five, and Trotter, six foot two thirty, seventy three tackles for Barrett, including five sacks, two forced fumbles, two picks. Trotter had eighty nine tackles, six and a half sacks, one forced fumble, and two picks. These dudes are just everywhere on the football field. They're smart. They play tough. They run sideline to sideline, and they are dogs who want to hunt. And 
if Riley Leonard is trying to win the game solely on his legs, it's not going to work because these guys will get after him. Um, so I'm curious to see what they look like. That's the best linebacking duo in the country. Um, so curious to see what they look like uh, against a good Duke offense, honestly. Yeah, that's gonna be, that's the matchup for the game. Right. All right, my man. Now let's get to the main event. The business. The bidness. It is our five-unit bets. We're making bets. Everybody's got five units to win as much as they can. We're going to be tracking this all season. Ray, take us away, buddy. So I'm starting off, you guessed it, with a teaser. Uh, six and a half points, four teams. So I got Florida plus 13. I already said it. I think they're, both teams are going to be running the shit out of the ball. Presumably no Cam Rising, or if he does play, he's going to be a little bit limited. So I think this game's going to be a lot closer. I like uh, Florida getting almost two touchdowns. Ohio State minus 23.5 at Indiana. Both Kyle McCord and Devin Brown are going to play, but so many weapons on this offense. I think they're going to put up points in a hurry. And I've already said, I think this defense is going to be much improved from last year. Uh, Third leg, Texas minus 28.5, home versus Rice. This offense is another offense that's just weapons, weapons, weapons. I think they're going to be throwing the ball over all over the fucking field. Uh, I'll take them four plus touchdowns. And then last leg, uh, Duke plus 19 and a half. I think that 13 line is crazy. I may even double down and take it just straight up in a bet. But I think getting almost three touchdowns, I think Duke's going to keep it close at home to open up the season. And then I love. Go ahead. No, go ahead. That was my first bet. You I was going to say, I love starting with a four-team teaser to start to open the season. <laughs> See, the way I think about it, uh, I think that Vegas is probably at its weakest week one. So you you normally you'd want to do a parlay, but I'm going to hedge and just assume, just in case I'm not right, give me a little bit of a buffer. Fair but enough. my second bet is going to be Tennessee first half minus 16 home versus Virginia. I, this this Tennessee offense just scores, scores, scores. I think Joe Milton, they're, I don't want to say they're not going to miss a beat, but I think it's going to be a pretty seamless transition. And Virginia was absolutely miserable last year. I think they only won three games. So I'll take Tennessee starting off strong with a strong first half. That was two units at minus 125. And then my last bet, it's just going to be a straight bet. Uh, Miami of Florida, minus 17 home versus Miami of Ohio. I think Miami is going to be much improved. I think their offensive line, they got better with transfers and uh, freshman t- that freshman tackle. And I think Tyler Van Dyke, he's only going to be better than last year. He's a talent. There's a reason that he was on NFL draft radars last year. I think they're just going to be too much for Miami of Ohio. So uh, I'll give up 17 points for that one. And that was minus 110. Love it. Love it. Uh, I got Dean's bets, who's not on the pod, but I got Dean always make sure he gets his units in. Uh, Dean's got two units on Florida State money line plus 120. I love that. Um, and then he's got three units on Oregon State first half minus nine and a half. It's minus 110 versus San Jose State, who played USC last week in week zero. I don't know if I love that bet, especially a team that got to play USC last week. They got they got all the jitters out. Yeah, and a um, new starting new starting quarterback too. It's yeah, t- that's a tough one, but I respect it. Yeah, a nice first half line. Um, I got two two team teasers, both seven point teasers. Um, Let's call the first one the BTT teaser. I got Penn State thirteen and a half, and I have Ohio State minus twenty three and a half. I think Penn State is just going to be able to dominate both lines of scrimmage. 
Um, and I really think they're going to get after it. I think Drew Aller is going to have a really good day. And then for Ohio State, like you said, um, I mean, they've dominated Indiana over the last two years. I think the scoring the last two seasons has been like 110 to like 20. Um, Kyle McCord was named the starter, but like you said, Devin Brown's going to get a chance to play. I think he's going to want to show out too. So even maybe after the game's done, there's he's still going to be looking to put up points. Um, so I really love that one. Uh, come full circle with BTT. We can, people help people. And then uh, my last one is the Sunday-Monday games. I got Florida State plus nine and a half against LSU. Um, I think they can win that game outright. And then I have Clemson minus six. Um, that one is a little tricky, but I do think even if Duke keeps that game close, I think late in the fourth quarter, late in the third quarter, um, they could break away with a touchdown or a field goal to to get a backdoor minus six cover for me there. I think the defense is too talented um, to lose week one. Dabo's been really, really good uh, in week one openers. I think he only has two losses, and both of them are to Georgia, and one of them was a national championship team. So um, like them to to get started off the right foot. I like those bets. But minus the minus the Clemson, obviously. Fuck Clemson. Fuck that. Yeah, it's minus six. That's fair. Still on the road week one and just Dabo Sweeney. That guy's a prick. I'll never bet them. <laughs> it's all about units, baby. It's all about the units. All right. That's going to wrap it up for us here on Between Two Tackles. Thank you for listening. Hopefully, you enjoyed our week one preview. Everybody get hyped. I know we are. Cannot wait to watch these games. As always, please rate and subscribe to the pod. And follow our Twitter at Two Tackles with the number two. You can also find us on underdogpodcast.com and stick with us as we continue this 2023 2024 season. Ray, my friend, appreciate you. Let's go, state.